All right, guys, this is my first episode of the bullet points. So today I'm going to be going over three bullet points, uh, highlights of my week, things I've been uh, studying, things I've been reading, things I've been experiencing, or some of uh, the content I've been sharing. I will give more nuance. I'll give more details. So I'll be talking today about the uh, recent yo-yo dieting study that I discussed in one of my Instagram posts. I'll also be talking about satellite cells, which for I don't know the reason has been captivating my mind lately. I've been reading a lot on it. So I'll be giving some information about satellite cells, why they're so cool and why um, there's so many things you could know about them that are interesting. And the third point is, again, another content I've been sharing about uh, the different types of learners uh, for clients in personal training, but like the different ways of communicating with them. And uh, I'll be giving some personal anecdotes and uh, what I find is interesting in practice. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's get right into it. Number one, is yo-yo dieting going to break your metabolism? There's a 1996 study that came out from McCargill and Al, and they were comparing the predicted RMR versus the measured RMR of a woman with a history of uh, chronic yo-yo dieting. They realized that there was no differences. Uh, it was exactly the predicted was exactly what the, the measured was representing. Then in the study I shared from Mason and Caitlin, uh, they went a bit further and they compared the different women with different history of yo-yo dieting. So certain women had no history of yo-yo dieting, certain women had a moderate history of yo-yo dieting, and certain women had a severe history of yo-yo dieting. Just just think of it as moderate was um, five ten pounds three times gain lose, and uh, severe was like twenty pounds plus gain lose three cycles. And they measured their body weight, their weight circumferences, and their body fat after introducing, before and after introducing exercise and dieting uh, interventions. There was, there was a control group. It was a well done study. There was um, study. There was a group with only dieting, a group with only exercise. Um, long story short, everyone lost weight at the rate that was predicted and proportional to the initial body weights and um, the, the deficit or the exercise that they were doing. So the main takeaway is that yo-yo dieting is apparently not going to break your metabolism. It doesn't seem to have a permanent impact or it doesn't seem to be damaging your, um, your metabolism. Now, does that mean that you should do it? Um, well, there's some nuance to it, right? Because if you lose 10 pounds, and let's say you crash diet, so out of that 10 pounds, 3 pounds is lean body mass, 7 pounds is fat. But then you fall off the wagon and gain that weight right back. Well, there's a chance you're not gaining back 3 pounds of lean body mass. There's a chance you're gaining maybe 9 pounds of fat instead of the 7 that you lost. And if you gain more weight, that's even more fat. So you'll be able to lose weight at the rate that a human your size should be losing weight. That's awesome because no matter how many times you go through a cycle, it doesn't seem to hinder your weight loss progress rate. But keep in mind that if ultimately your goal is to have a toned look, then every time you gain more fat, in order to get back to that specific look, let's say call it 15% body fat or 20% body fat, well, each time you go through a cycle, you were perhaps 24%, you went down to 20, you felt good, you fell off the wagon, you came back 25 or 26. That means now you gotta lose more weight in order to get back to that 20. And each cycle, if you gain a bit more fat, 
first of all, you're sacrificing lean body mass every single time, but you're also making the duration of the dieting longer, okay? If you're trying to reach that specific uh, numerical value, the body fat percentage. So there is, there is some damage and it is going to be harder if you're chasing body fat or you're chasing body composition. In terms of losing weight, specific rate of weight loss though, there is no impact. So understanding this, it's not, it's not all fun and games. Um, the, the last thing I want to discuss about this is regarding metabolic adaptations, right? Because obviously I'm not saying that metabolic adaptations are emits. Um, yes, your metabolic rate will slow down due to um, extreme dieting or uh, extreme uh, physical activity also. But the thing is that when you are dieting for a short period of time, the metabolic adaptations are not that great. And also when you're not getting into a body weight that's, uh, let's call it dangerous. So uh, under 10% body fat, that's when we're going to notice more metabolic adaptation. If you're, if you're overweight and you're losing weight to become more uh, a healthy body weight, well, in that case, metabolic adaptations are not really present. So we got to take everything with consideration. So um, a, a physique athlete who's doing competition, who is um, at three, four percent body fat, goes on a on a on a large binge for many many consecutive days, is going to have a greater impact. And if if they, they gain a lot of weight and try to lose it right away, they will have to diet harder because their metabolic rate has slowed down due to the extended period of dieting and also the, the, the level of which they've been dieting. So you got to understand if, if you're just losing 10 pounds, gaining 10 pounds, there is no true metabolic adaptation happening. Um, that's not your reality. In that case, you just got to figure out a way to be a bit more compliant and uh, maintain make those results sustainable but if you fall off the wagon you get back on it and you can still get results number two is the satellite cells so i don't know exactly for what reason um i always knew about satellite cells but i just wasn't as intrigued uh into them as much as i've been lately um there's many mechanisms through which your cell will hypertrophy uh, one of them is satellite cells so there is these little helpers that are connected to your muscle cell they're hanging around and the moment you go through a training session or even an injury, they will turn on, they'll become activated. And when that happens, they will do a couple things, okay? Some of them right away are gonna take care of self-renewal because you, they're gonna be needed in the future. So if you use all the pool of satellite cells that you have right now, then you won't have anything left, right? The human body doesn't work this way. So it will take a chunk and take care of duplicating more satellite cells for the future. Now, other ones are going to turn into myogenic cells, which are basically the helpers that are going to be needed to, um, to cause hypertrophy. And other ones are going to assist the muscle cell in, for its regeneration. So I think it's, it's pretty cool because those satellite cells are like these blank canvases, okay? They're a bit like stem cells. And they're just, they're just there waiting to do what they're told to do. And they will go where they're needed. So uh, if it's an injury, they're going to have more satellite cells. We're going to take care of regeneration. And if it's a really stimulating workout, there's probably going to be more satellite cells that are going to be needed for the um, uh, hypertrophy response or the adaptation to your workout. So 
these satellite cells, the way they work, it's, it's a bit complicated, but to, to summarize it simply, they will fuse to your muscle cell and they'll, they'll donate their nuclei, which is like, it's your DNA, it's your blueprint. So they'll donate that blueprint, give it to the muscle cell. The muscle cell needs, needs as much as it can use to create more protein to cause growth. So you've got your satellite cells, binds to your muscle cell, donates its nuclei. And then the more nuclei it donates, the more can be used to cause hypertrophy. And then as a muscle cell increases in size, as it grows, it'll need more nuclei. So these satellite cells are always going to come and feed more nuclei as much as the muscle grows. And there's this nice ratio that keeps happening. So I, I think that's fascinating the way the body works. And this is just one of the mechanism that causes hypertrophy. And one fun fact that you need to know is that it's pretty well understood now in research that non-steroidical um, anti-inflammatory drugs, so NSAIDs or ibuprofen, one of them, um, can blunt the the activation of satellite cells. So when you're taking Advils, um, you got to consider that it might be blunting some of the quality of your workout. So just, just a fun fact to keep in mind. I mean, if you're in pain and you need Advils, obviously go for it. But uh, if you can try to perhaps try another way or don't use them for nothing, um, because you might be uh, hindering a little bit the quality of your workouts. So yeah, satellite cells are the little heroes that causes your muscles to grow. And uh, I hope this intrigues you just as much as me. Third bullet point, I posted about uh, the three types of communication with clients based on their preferred way of learning. Um, there's the visual client, the auditory client, the kinesthetic. Um, obviously, it's very rare that you meet someone that is 100% one type. Uh, it may happen, and in that case, I think it makes your job even easier. But the real challenge is that most people are like a mix of one or two, or even a mix of all three. Which leads me to my main point. You should always learn to develop the skill at becoming really good at all of them. You know, don't think of it as if most people are visual. So I'm going to focus on visual. As a matter of fact, um, most people are a lot of mix of everything. So if you can become really good and at, at using all three, then um, your, your, your teaching method becomes bulletproof. Uh, the visual client typically is the one that is very stands really back when you're demonstrating exercise and they just wait and watch and learn and they will really consume what you're giving them all the information and process it before they start moving so you're demonstrating everything you see in their eyes they're really observing they're really paying attention and when you catch that keep in mind that their eyes is their greatest weapon so you got to make sure that you lead them towards what they need to pay attention so if you're teaching an rdl or a deadlift make sure they're looking at your hip they're paying attention to the way you are pushing back and not necessarily going down and mention it and make sure that they observe that and you will yield really 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 good results with these people most of the time they learn super fast and the moment that they've seen you perform an exercise perfectly they grab the bar and they get right into it another cool thing about visual learners is that when you're trying to correct their form don't make them stop going and don't talk to them but instead stand in front of them and 
perform the action as they're doing it. So they're going and they're observing you and then you see them correcting themselves as they're observing you. So I find this really fascinating. And once you understand that, it becomes a really, really good tool. Your auditory client, differently they like a lot of description and they will often like repeat what you're saying or they'll like they'll like they'll like talk a lot during a set and and give you a lot of feedback and you're gonna give feedback back and usually if it's too quiet during a set they think they're doing something wrong you know most of the time as a coach when everything's perfect you don't necessarily correct right you don't mention it because you're either counting reps in your head or you're you're thinking about you're assessing the form and everything but you're not saying out loud what's happening especially when it's good but auditory clients like to be reassured they like to be told even when everything's okay that it is okay and give them a lot of vocal cues and vocal feedback. Uh, the cool thing with auditory clients is you don't necessarily always need to stand where their eyes can see you. Uh, sometimes just talking to them, standing behind them, and just um, giving them the information they need to hear in order to improve their technique is gonna be enough in order to get what you need out of them. Finally, your kinesthetic client is gonna be obviously, the, the, the funniest story about kinesthetic client is that they're usually also a little bit hyper sometimes. When it's a pure one, they, they gotta be doing something. They don't have a desk job most of the time. They have a job that they're always on their feet, they're always walking around, they're very active, they have a lot of energy. And when I sometimes take a kinesthetic client to a station and, um, we're going to the cable, we're going to the dumbbells, we're going to the barbell. They will go and grab the weight or grab the cable. And sometimes I look at them, I'm like, but you don't even know what we're doing. And they're like, well, tell me. And I'm like, yeah, well, give me the weight so I can show you. So this is always a funny, funny situation when this happens. It's like you literally have to take the weight away from them to tell them what to do because they, they, they grab the weight before even knowing what needs to be done. Uh, so in that case, most of the time, I just let them keep the weight and I teach them while they're in it. Sometimes with kinesthetic clients, you don't get a perfect rep right away. So you get them into it. It's not perfect, but you correct as you go. Um, they will process the information a lot better like this if you just correct them as you're going. And to be honest with you, the moment they feel it, then it's done. They Their form will get, as, will get better and better as they start feeling and feeling the exercise the most. So uh, they respond well to exercises that are um, more like pump oriented or um, a lot of contraction oriented or high rep oriented they really like to feel the muscle and feel um, the burn when they train so something they, they feel rewarded when they get those sensations so some stuff to keep in mind but like i said the truth is you want to improve all dimension as a communicator and you want to be able to maneuver from one to another. You know, some clients are a bit kinesthetic, but also visual. So you stand in their in their their angles when they perform the exercise, but you also like put your hands on the muscle that it's targeted, making sure they they know what they should feel, and your touch increases or enhances their self awareness or their proprioception in the movement, and that will will increase the quality of the session. I think it's not something to undervalue as a coach because communicating is not something that is inherent. It's definitely something that I have learned to improve over the years. And it's a, it's a really good skill. Once you master it, you, uh, you get you get really good session and you, you save a lot of time. It makes everything efficient when it doesn't take 20 minutes to learn how to squat properly or to hinge properly. So um, work on your communication.